Hey guys, I have some announcements to make. I have a new partnership with the podcast that I'm very excited about. I have some changes with Stand Up Science um, that are related to the partnership and hoping to get more places soon. And I also have uh, some life stuff that happened that may be oversharing, but I'll share it anyway. Ooh, is that enticing? Are you excited? I know my editor tells me not to make a big, long intro thing because people are listening for the first time and they're like, oh my gosh, is it always this big, long thing? When does it get to the show? And that turns off a potential new listener. Very understandable. Great advice. Not taking it today because uh, I, I just want people to know what I have going on. So I've had since I started, since I broke down and, and started doing ads on the show, you know, I, I haven't necessarily got my uh, choice to pick and choose exactly what I'm selling all the time. And, you know, I'm trying to legitimize this podcast more. And I had tried, tried to go ad free for so many years and dump my own money into this. But if I really want this to be something, it's just the eventual, uh, the inevitability um, podcasts, if we want to make money off them, we got to sell stuff. It's not the most glamorous part of the job, but I was like, well, I want to have good partnerships with people. And I've tried a few in the past. Some of them worked out like micro meditation. Some of them have not worked out and, um, and I won't name the ones that haven't worked out, but, uh, they, you know, it's been interesting and fun and it's kind of a, uh, I'm not a business guy, you know, I consider myself kind of an artist, I guess, and I like putting out this content, and so, you know, I, I always wanted to do something that'd be really relevant to the show, and something that I really believed in, and I've been trying to get an audiobook company on board with this podcast forever, because we're always talking about audiobooks on the show. I'm always listening to audiobooks. Like right now, I'm finishing Steven Pinker's Enlightenment Now. Fantastic. I highly recommend it. You know, I have guests on the show that have their own books, and I listen to their audiobooks books a lot of time. So on the show, I love audiobooks. I listen to audiobooks more than I read. So um, I... I found this company, so I I was reaching out for potential guests for Stand Up Science, and I found, I got in contact with this with the scientist publisher, and let him know what I, was going on, uh, what I had going on, and then he told me about his company, Libro FM. So, what Libro FM is, is it's an audiobook company, and long story short, it's just it's it's the exact same. It's the same price and catalog and everything as as your uh, typical. It works the same as any uh, of the typical like big name audiobook companies out there. However, what's really cool about Libro FM, uh, Libro .fm, is that they work with your local bookstores, and so there's a list of local bookstores, and you can pick your local one, there's hundreds all over the country, and you can pick the one that's in your city, your state, whatever, and you can support them, and the audiobook is kind of goes through them so they get a cut, and it's a way of doing the same thing that you'd be doing on other audiobook apps, but supporting your local bookstore at the same time, 
And what is interesting about that is they have all these relationships and partnerships with all of these local indie bookstores. And so potentially we're going to try this. Who knows if any of this is going to go anywhere? I don't know. I'm, I'm really optimistic uh, about it. I try not to get my hopes up about, about things anymore and, and uh, until after things have been. I, I try not to count my chickens. Um, I, I have a long history of, of doing that. But they have these relationships with all these bookstores, and some of them are these great potential venues for stand-up science. So they also have these connections with all these local bookstores, so I can potentially do stand-up science in cooler venues in more cities, in more areas. And so it's just something that makes total sense for me. It's Libro.fm, and then you just enter the offer code here we are and what you get with that is you get a 3 month audiobook membership for the price of 1 month which is it's 14.99 and that goes just straight up so you know what's going on i get that that's uh, that's the arrangement that i have with them so that money that you're putting into the, for a 3 month subscription of this audiobook trial is going right to me now. Why? Uh, why is that especially relevant right now to other life events? Well, I just had a, a breakup recently, and it's it's all for the best and everything. But I have it's creating an opportunity for me to be on the road more and do something that I've always wanted to do. You may have heard me talking about this with, like, say, Duncan Trussell on past podcasts years ago. Some a goal of mine has been to live on the road at least for a while and see how it goes. And I want to buy a van. You've probably heard me talk about this before. I want a van. You wouldn't think it'd be that hard, but I'm. Broke. I'm broke all the time. I'm a cliche starving artist trying to blaze his own trail and all of that. And so, uh, and now I have this fresh start to leaving all my belongings behind. This is part of the what you do when you're a serial monogamous dude. You live with the lady for a while and then it doesn't work out, and then you just leave everything behind and you get a fresh start. And that's the stage that I'm at right now. It's important because if you sign up for the Libro.fm today, that that will give me that money will be put toward a van. And with all these new connections, with all of these bookstores, um, I can I can hit up more cities and do this more often and just stay out there rather than having to like be on the road for two two weeks or whatever and then travel back for two weeks and spend a bunch of money on planes and rental cars and all that and mostly just to attend to a relationship I don't need to worry about that I can just uh, live out there for a while and really establish stand-up science I want to find out where the best cities are and turn it into a regular show there I've already started returning back to cities I'll be like making my third stop through Des Moines in July coming back, for example, and I'm finding the cities that I want to go back to, and this this will just make all of that so much easier, and it will make recording the Here We Are podcast a lot 
easier as well. So if you if you wanna um, if you wanna get uh, some into audiobooks and support a local uh, your local bookstore and support me and my journey and increase the par- probability that I will come to your place more often. And the other thing is, is now that I'm not doing like two weeks on, two weeks off and just staying out on the road, I'm also going to maybe stay for multiple days in cities. And so in addition to stand up science, maybe do a good trip show again, maybe do live here we are's, maybe do regular stand up and and do other um, fun events. And it really just opens up a whole bunch of possibilities. So if you want to help me out, if a whole bunch of you do this, then I get a, a great van. Like if, say, every listener, uh, if every listener signs up for Libro.fm, I get an RV. That's terrific. Uh, if if uh, half of you do, I get a fantastic van. If... Uh, if uh, decent number of you do i get a van (laughs) and if a small portion of you do which is probably the reality of the situation i get um a uh crappy van until i can um get something better so um (laughs) that's that's what you're i I was like do is this should i be sharing all of this with people but i mean it just i find it helpful for you guys to know everything that's going on uh, in in my life, because one, I think it um, probably makes me seem more genuine, makes you seem like you know me better and know what's going on in my life, and makes you encourages you to support what's going on, and uh, and also I'm giving you more in information so you can make a more informed decision about why I'm selling you, uh, trying to sell you on Libro.fm. And uh, so it's offer code, here we are. Go and, go and apply that. Write me if there's some issue with that. Or write Libro as well. Um, but go and, and check it out and take a look at their catalog. If you're already into audiobooks, you know, it's a, it's a great way to get one of those, you know, early kind of offer code um, situations where where you get a, a deal by switching to a new company and again supporting your local bookstore as well so go and check them out thank you for listening to this super long intro um, I know like a lot of times you guys write me and you're like we like when when you keep us up to date with what you have going on in your life and I don't I don't hear too many of you guys writing and saying like, oh, it was too long of a thing. But I do, I get self-conscious about it. So I hope it, uh, I, I hope it's not too much that I yammer on and on sometimes because, uh, yeah, that's the thing. And I get it. But I hope you enjoy today's episode. I'm hoping this is a start of a whole new phase of my life i've been in a such a positive mood lately and i'm just like i'm just really excited for like a clean slate a fresh start and to get out there and explore opportunities to kind of try to take my career and this podcast stand up science science communication 
to the next level and hopefully impact um, people in a in a positive way and help influence um, people in a way that that creates more of a world and more of an environment that I want to be in. And I'll tell you, when I come to when I come and do stand up science shows in places, the kinds of audiences that come out to those shows, I mean, they're like applauding for uh, someone saying something about the importance of data will get like an applause break. Oh my gosh, that is my type of audience. That's the kind of people that I want to be hanging out with. And it's super cool. So I hope that I'm, I'm creating this cool, interesting life for myself that you guys uh, can be a part of. And definitely um, the financial aspect is always for, for most any of us comics out there. It's the real, and I'm sure many of you out there with your jobs, it's, you know, it's the, can be a real tricky part of life. So um, I very much appreciate the support. Again, Libro, L-I-B-R-O dot F-M and enter here we are with each listen. Take pride in knowing that you're supporting your local bookstores. Thank you. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I'm talking with professor at NYU School of Medicine and director at the Institute for Computational Medicine. Itai Anai is joining me today. How are you doing today? Wonderful. Thank you for having me. This is my first time to NYU. It's very welcome. exciting. I don't get through New York as often as I'd like to, and I'm, I'm enjoying the big city, uh, moving and shaking. Um, so you, I'm, I'm, uh, very, very interested in your book that I have not had a chance to read <laughs> yet. Um, but, uh, I've been, uh, inundated with excuses lately. I've been busy with the stand up science, which you're taking part in this I'm week. really looking forward to it. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on. And, uh, your book, the society of genes, your co-author, Martin uh, Lurcher? Lurcher, yeah. Um, cool. And so soci- the Society of Genes, so uh, there was 40 years ago or so we had the selfish gene. Yeah. Now the Society of Genes. Are genes just starting to get along a little better? Is the, <laughs> is the next book going to be the, the hippie commune the hippie. Of, of, of genes or something? What, what's, what's going right. on? I, uh, I think this is a, this is a big... Uh, 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 the this is the main thing that I want to clear up right away is because people people often have this misconception as I, I remember them I'm going to do this this uh, XM radio show mm. right, right after this recording and the last time I was on this show um, the the guy is uh, he's he's religious I believe I don't know his whole backstory but anyway I mentioned evolution and he's like. So we're all just supposed to be selfish, the selfish gene or whatever. Mm. But it, it's a little more complicated than that. People just saw the title of that book, really latched on to the selfish part. And, right. Uh, right. So f- first of all, there's really no kind of uh, contradiction between the society of genes or the selfish gene. There's no, no real difference. It's really a continuation. It's like 
taking the selfish gene to the next level in my mind. And the, the selfish gene, you know, it's both a brilliant title and a kind of unfortunate title because what Richard Dawkins wanted to do is um, he wanted to, he, he, he has said that he kind of regrets calling it the selfish gene. He should have called it the immortal gene. And that's really the, the main concept is that the, the um, you know, we open our eyes to this world. You know, we've all had this feeling of uh, what's, what's going on? We want to, <laughs> what are we doing here? And, and, um, and we have to then close our eyes a few decades later. And if you think about it, the genes don't do that. Mm -hmm. The genes keep going from generation to generation. And Richard Dawkins, he just kind of um, sharpened this, this point that uh, we have biology upside down sometimes, that we look at it from the point of view of the individual, but really you should look at it from the point of view of the gene. Mm -hmm. What biology is, is a kind of strategy uh, of the genes making a living. Like we, we, are, we are their way of getting to the next generation. As, as cool as we think we are for living in New York City, you know, all this culture that we've built, for, for the, the genes, if you look at it from their point of view, they're just keep on, you know, keeping on. Mm -hmm. And that idea blew my mind when I first heard it. I, 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 um, I've ta actually, I think it's, it's really a crazy book because if you talk to many biologists, they've all had, had this like selfish gene moment where they just all of a sudden it clicks for them. Like yeah. this is what's going on. And, um, and then Richard Dawkins, you know, there's, there's nothing um, really novel about what he said. And he, he admits it. He, he just kind of um, wrote it in the most succinct, beautiful, compelling way. And he deserves a lot of credit for that because a lot of people that have read that book have just kind of gone into biology. You know, I, I was a computer engineer mm -hmm. and I just f forgot about that after I read that book. Uh, I just wanted to do biology. And what we try to do in the Society of Genes is to say, well, like you said, Richard Dawkins wrote that 40 years ago. Uh, surely, surely, something's new. There's, there's, you know, what, have we learned anything new? And we've learned a ton new because there's uh, DNA sequencing. We know entire genomes. When Richard Dawkins was writing, there was not a single genome known. Mm -hmm. So he he kind of intuited it. He he derived it from first principles. He he you know he, he all all the the people that he, that he was. Um, like Trivers, who, who you interviewed earlier, uh, uh, earlier, like last year, mm -hmm. uh, all, all the, these people, they were just thinking about uh, genes without having ever like really seen them. And they got it right. They deserve a tremendous amount of credit. But now we have all these genomes and we can learn, we could say, what, what have we learned about the strategy of the genes? How do they do it? We can kind of like enjoy all their, all the intricacies of, of, uh, um, their selfishness. So the, the genes are selfish. They're tremendously selfish. But if you put a bunch of selfish genes together, crazy things start to happen. Mm -hmm. Like you, for example, right? Like this, that's what we are. We're the product of many selfish entities. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I have. A, there's a whole lot of cooperation going exactly. going on within all of this selfishness. I even have all all sorts of. My understanding is I'm riddled with all sorts of bacteria and, yeah. and parasites as well. And I think, you know, uh, uh, cooperation is a 
beautifully selfish strategy. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, right? Yeah. Like sometimes, you know, if, if to, to, uh, to extend uh, one's selfish needs, you, 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 we can all relate to this idea that, that if we cooperate, um, it's, it may be good for everybody, but, but it's also good for me. Mm-hmm. And that turns out to be a general principle exercised by the genes, too. The genes invented it, mm-hmm. essentially. And uh, there is indeed a ton of cooperation going on. So, uh, first off, uh, what is let, let's let's go let's start with the basics. It's been a while since uh, genetics class for me. What is a gene exactly? A gene is a, a bit of information in uh, in DNA, right? And and right. H- how are you? It, it, what tools are we using to? to look at genes okay so uh, a gene is a bit of information a gene is is a really inf- it's information and um that's kind of a crazy thing because if you think about it, uh it's it's information that's that's encoded in dna molecules so if we zoom in onto your body we have all these cells we zoom into the each individual cell there's uh, a nucleus in almost all of them mm-hmm. and you go into the nucleus there's a ton of this double helix molecule. And uh, this double helix molecule is just a bunch of uh, repeating chemical molecules. It's, and, and, you know, it's, it's really just a long chemical, you know, it's, it's just chemistry. But if you zoom in on it, you see that there's one bit that just keeps uh, repeating. You see it here, you see it there. And we decided to just, for shorthand, we call it C. And then there's like this other bit we keep seeing. We call that T. Another one G, another one A. And then that's it. There's no more different kinds of bits. So uh, when, when I first heard about this, I, was, I just, it's amazing. <laughs> it's crazy, right? That, that now if you look at, at the pattern, that now there's this bit that we call this, the C. And then there's this bit called the G. And then another G and another G. And if you, if you now get the entire sequence, it's six billion long hmm. right c a g g g c t t and that's information and you might think well it's it's just one long string of information it's just one long encyclopedia uh is it just one gene then maybe we just have one gene uh but if you if you kind of um see how that gets gets passed down if you see how the the um, the function gets encoded, what you start to to notice is that there's kind of segments, and each each segment we're going to call a gene, and what that segment is is um, well there's different properties. One one important one, probably the most important one, is that the segment is a recipe for how to make a protein. That's what we call a gene. And then when we compare it to other species we see what, in my mind, is still the best piece of evidence for evolution. Like if someone tells you, you know, you scientists have never really shown us anything that, that uh, makes evolution compelling, just show them this, that you, you sequence, uh, so sequence means to, to figure out the exact pattern of C's, A, G's, and T's. Mm. You sequence any other species. First of all, you cannot find a biological species that doesn't have this DNA. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot show me you know, there's 10 million species. There's birds. There's there, there used to be dinosaurs. Well, the dinosaurs are the birds today. There's uh, orangutans. There's, there's flies. There's bacteria. No, 
you know, even even viruses, it's it's really uh, a sequence at its core, and and that's amazing, right? They all they all have this this information, and the bit that I think makes it the most compelling piece of uh, evidence for evolution is that 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 segment that we said that that would encode for a particular protein, that particular one, you can see that same piece of information in other uh, genomes, in other species. So I'll give you one example. There's one piece of machinery. It's called the ribosome. And what this uh, gene does is it makes a protein that is able to now make uh, uh, help make the the product of other genes into proteins. So it's it's what it does translation. Mm. Okay, so that's its function, right? There is not a single cell on this planet, not a single species, let's call it, on this planet that does not have that gene, which means either that that we all just invented it yesterday, or uh, but that would be really like what's what are the chances that we all just woke up and we invented that gene? Rather, what probably happened, what you know, must have happened, it seems. There's, there's really no chance that it didn't happen like this. It was invented a long time ago, and we all inherited it, mm-hmm. right? And if you think about it then, that gene is like immortal, right? Like this, it's in every single species. This gene is so successful, it's present everywhere. And that that's, um, kind of goes back to Dawkins' argument of the immortal gene. Like how, you know, we, we just, you know, we're going we're gonna to live like, you know, if I get a hundred years, I'm going to be super happy, right? But this gene, it's already gotten 4.5 billion years. Yeah. If, so if if genes started 4.5 billion years ago and they started copying uh, and and replicating, why why all of the complication? Why didn't why didn't it just keep on replicating and and yeah. <laughs> and leave well enough alone? What happened along the way? Yeah, so I'm what, only right, asking right, right. you to walk me through four and a half billion. It's years. really interesting. It's really it's super interesting, and I think it's it's like the in my mind the most fun part of being alive is to to think about things like that, right? I mean, we all we all kind of maybe remember when we were six years old and we we open our eyes and we're like, what is going on here? I I still feel that way whenever I think about these things, and it's it's yeah, I love these questions, so keep asking them. And I think it's it's like this. First of all, you know, let's remember that if you look around, there are many more simple uh, organisms on this planet. Like there are bacteria. And maybe it's unfair for us to be so arrogant and to say, oh, they're so simple and I'm so complex. I had a professor once who said, you know, it would be more appropriate if, the, if we call this little bacterium simple and it would turn back and say... Yes, you're right, Professor Kornberg. You you are more complicated than I am, and then and then there would be some agreement. But if it's just one sided, if it's just we're saying we're more complicated, but yeah. but still, this we can't avoid this feeling that this bug is so much simpler than us. There's no bacteria <laughs> that's recording a podcast right now and sending exactly. this uh, this communication through space and satellites. And you, you <laughs> have to admit, spheres. you have to admit, there's no bacteria <laughs> that's going to the moon and like. Planting a flag. Although <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fun to imagine. And so the, the point is that, that uh, while things do get more complicated over time, mm-hmm. it's not uniformly more complicated. It's not that every single species 
is becoming. So there, there are still more simple ones. And, you know, at the beginning, at the beginning, there were uh, cheaters. And those cheaters remain today. And I'm referring to, to viruses. So if you think about it, at the very beginning, there had to be a molecule that could somehow encourage its own replication. Mm-hmm. Once that happened, that's the beginning of, of life. A molecule that can somehow facilitate uh, the making of more copies of itself. And the, anytime, you, anytime uh, folks make models to, to try to, to study this, the one really cool result is that there are always cheaters that come into that model. Like as soon as something good or you know, progressive, I'm doing like uh, air quotes, happens, then, then uh, there's also cheaters that, that come with it and, and kind of derive a benefit from uh, using the, this, this uh, um, new developed ability. So, uh, for example, if you have a molecule that can facilitate its own, its own replication, if there is another molecule that, that uh, is just, can just go along for the ride, it, it doesn't, it doesn't um, facilitate anything but it just lets the other molecules that have you know the hard working molecules that are facilitating rep- rep- reproduction it lets it uh, help its own rep- rep- reproduction so it's kind of a we call it a cheater mm. um, it's using the resources of the community without contributing anything so anyway uh, that's still around so so you know you can't say that um, uh, everything has gotten more complicated there's um, it's really just just certain aspects of, of life are getting more complicated. And I think the, the reason is that uh, has to be that if if there's any kind of complication that, that evolves, it's um, it, it, there's some benefit that, that comes about. There's some uh, like fitness that that uh, follows. So for example, if you have if you have um, these animals like we are like we you know we're, we're really complicated we take like years to develop and it takes us many years to make babies and you know meanwhile bacteria every 20 minutes they divide like how can we how can we compete with that right but what they do um they they're also very um sensitive and they they could just blow up and you know all of a sudden things heat up and they don't know what to do if for us things heat up, you know, we take shelter. We we're more robust. So, uh, I think that that's kind of one way to understand how evolution has uh, has, uh, has happened is with uh, with with additional kind of complexity. Uh, if there's some advantage to it, it it would happen. It doesn't have to happen, but it could. And there's there's just so much more flexibility, and this is kind of a way that evolution's hedging its bets uh, in a way. I oh, I wouldn't put it that way that evolution is hedging its bet because <laughs> that kind of gives uh, evolution uh, the ability of, of forethought, right, like right. It, like it's it can it can see the future. You know, and evol- evolution is notoriously nearsighted. It, right. it only it, it will only what is uh, can survive now can survive. So it's kind of like this tautology. Um, but it it kind of uh, um, uh, evolves a strategy that appears to do that. So, right. In so, hindsight. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. So so how much of our our current DNA is these uh, filthy no good cheaters? That's interesting. It's it's uh, 
quite a bit of it, about 60% of it. And it's called uh, junk DNA sometimes. And there's a lot of misunderstanding in the public because um, the, a kind of story that gets told a lot in the, I see it all the time in the, um, the papers and, and the way science is explained to the public. And it really, it really kind of uh, uh, gets me, gets me upset. So I'm, I'm glad you asked that. Now like, I can have like my shot at that. Uh, this, this is what, this is what uh, I tell my folks here, but this, this seems like a wider audience. Okay. So it's like this. Uh, here's the story. Yeah. We, in our genome, we have DNA that we call cheaters that's, uh, junk, or junk DNA, it's called a lot. And then every so often, one researcher will, will find a certain kind of function of a piece of DNA that's been called junk DNA. And then a story will get written up, and it's kind of like a feel-good story. It's kind of like an easy story to sell, which is um, actually part of the business of science. Like, how do you kind of tell a story about a discovery? It's not enough to discover something. You have to tell a story about it. And the story that gets told is scientists used to think that this is junk, but they were just ignorant. Really, it has a function, and everybody's happy. The genome is smarter than you think. It's, uh, and, and so the, the notion of junk DNA comes across as like an admission of ignorance and, and um, you know, a reflection of the stupidity of scientists. And I hate that. I hate that. I think um, I need to explain it. So, so when I think of junk DNA... Uh, first of all, it shouldn't even be called junk DNA. It should be called selfish DNA. And all DNA is essentially selfish, a la Dawkins, but some DNA is more, even more selfish than others. And this, this, there's pieces of your genome that all they do is they're like copy-paste mm -hmm. in Microsoft Word. You know how you have a document, all of a sudden you might select a paragraph, and then you just do copy, paste, 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 paste. It would make for a really dull document because the reader would be like, dude, you just had this paragraph like over and over, what's going on here? But um, if you think about it, the, the chance of now erasing any one of those paragraphs becomes lower, and that paragraph kind of like gets a better chance to survive. And in the game of life, survival is all that's important. So really, that piece of DNA that's executing this program of copy-paste has managed to, to get a strategy that ensures its own survival. And um, you might say, but it's not contributing anything to you, to you, the individual. It's not contributing anything to the rest of the genes. It's not, it's not doing anything. It's just being selfish. Uh, you know, that shouldn't be. And then, and then actually, that's the time to, to think about biology the right way way up, the, the Dawkins selfish gene way, which is if a gene is able to secure its own future, that's all the explanation you need. Mm -hmm. So it's not junk. It's not junk. It's, it's like brilliantly selfish. Mm -hmm. and, so, and so you might say, well, but then uh, that gene, um, you just said, Itai, that, that some other researcher found that it had another function. That's fine. The, you know, the, it's, it's um, evolution... Is, uh, is kind of like um, a really badly written program sometimes. Like our, our genome is not well organized. And, and that's kind of like what you'd expect from a, uh, an evolutionary process. It would be all messed up. And, and this, um, 
um, do you know this analogy of the spaghetti code? No. Nope. Spaghetti code. It's it, it's like a uh, a term that that coders use where. Uh, if you're a bad code, if you're a good coder, everything's like object oriented, like super clear, and everybody can reproduce it, and, and, and like everybody can understand it. It's all well documented. But a lot of times, if a program has been through a lot of like updates, revisions, it will become like spaghetti code because a lot of the engineers, the, the coders, will add all these fixes, and all of a sudden it becomes a lot less organized. And if it comes too org- disorganized, and the coder maybe is kind of an amateur too, then it would become what's called spaghetti code. Like, it's all messed up. Mm-hmm. So our genome looks like spaghetti code mm. because, you know, th- there's really no coder. There's no designer. There's just evolution, and evolution is kind of, you know, an amateur, and it does things <laughs> in a mess. And and so because of this uh, spaghetti code thing, it's, it's kind of natural that even, like, a super selfish element, like this copy-paste thing, will also all of a sudden do something else. We'll get involved in a di- different function. Mm. And so... So you see what happens, then, it, the, then the, the community starts to believe that because it does something else, that's what it really does. And it starts to forget the real kind of um, initial function, the, the real reason for its being, which is this copy-paste mechanism. Mm. So to answer your question more succinctly, so much of our genome, so much is, is uh, junk, although I wouldn't call it junk, I would call it selfish, about 60%. And actually, when the human genome was published in 2001, uh, it really surprised a lot of people that if, if you l- look at that paper, it was like, I don't know, like 40 pages and like 30 pages of, uh, you know, it's like three quarters of the, of that paper was all about like this, the, these, these repeat selfish elements, uh, and it surprised everybody. Is the, is the genome going to keep on getting more complicated? Is it going to keep on evolving toward a robustness or uh, is there any way of of project of predicting any kind of trajectory uh toward the future of of where we're evolving Whoa. what's the future of the genome you know what uh one controversial thing to say maybe that uh left to its own devices it would become more complicated but because we're becoming synthetic biologists, because we're becoming really yeah. genetic engineers, because we humans are now getting surprisingly, scarily good at this, it may simplify because we ourselves are going to simplify the genome. Like we would be rewriting the genome. And uh, so, uh, you mean like using CRISPR or something like yeah. that? And and uh, so, what what we do? Like take out some of this junk DNA, make the make the system more efficient. But for example. Yeah. And and you know, the bacteria bacteria have actually the genomes that that may be attractive to you if if you want like a more simpler, streamlined, efficient kind of genome. Go to bacteria. <laughs> bacteria, they have, um, like I said before, uh, they replicate every twenty minutes, so they don't have you know when we when you replicate a cell, you got to copy all its DNA. So in our cells. Most of that time, you're just compli- uh, copying the junk, mm. right? And um, bacteria can't have that. So there's a lot of pressure, a lot of uh, selective, you know, natural selection on their genomes to be streamlined, to not have, not have the junk. Um, whereas ours, because natural selection is, is relatively um, weaker, 
then it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like entropy, the second law of thermodynamics, that, that things will become more and more disorganized. That's kind of like the way of our genome. Mm. That it's, it's right now, it's as disorganized as it possibly can be to survive. Mm. It, if, it, you know, if it gets too crazy and it can't support a human, then the genes are going to die. And then that, that sort of strategy is not going to do very well. It's going to die out. But, um, but it doesn't, it, there's no pressure on it to be any cl- cleaner than it has to be. Hmm. Kind of like a bachelor. Why should they clean up their, their apartment? And, you know, no one's telling the bachelor to, you know, so it's, it's, as, it's as dirty as it possibly can be, right? But now if there's like some selective pressure, I don't know, they, they, they find a mate and the mate's not having that, then all of a sudden there's new pressure, then, you know, it'll be much cleaner. <laughs> so, so how much do you th- do you see uh, uh, humans getting involved in manipulating the genome? How I mean, is this something that's that's already happening? Is it how far away are are we from uh, from the, uh, more intervention? Um, uh, what do you see in terms of the future of? Uh, yeah, that's of, a really interesting question on a lot of people's minds. So the technology is there. We can do it. And now it needs to be in the hands of the, the ethicists and, and the, up to the morality of society what to do. In other words, we scientists, we are in this really privileged position that we get funds from the government, right? Like you, you know, your, your listeners uh, pay taxes because we all do. And that money, some of it, comes to, to uh, pay for scientists. So we, we are at your service, and we, we provide the results. But that's it, right? We're just part of, of humanity here, and, and now humanity as a whole that includes, like I mentioned, um, eth- ethicists, you know, philosophers. We, we as a whole have to decide where we're going. And we're already seeing that there's going to be uh, people that kind of take matters into their own hands and do things secretly. And that's, that's terrifying because, um, you know, we, we've been through the horrors of, of uh, World War II and, the, the, and all the other horrors of the previous century. So we, we know what happens when, when um, you know, kind of ethics goes the, the way mm-hmm. <laughs> um, of like jungle law or something. So, so we, it's, it, it really needs to be solved at the, at the society level, not you shouldn't you shouldn't let uh, a scientist decide alone. So I should be asking you, Shane. What what, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think scientists are. I think that science also gives us a lot of insights into what drives our motives and and the origins of our morality in the first place. So then there's a, there's a little bit of a chicken and egg uh, situation, mm, which right. yeah, you get the ethicists involved, but but a lot of there's a lot of uh, scientific understanding into what's driving the ethicists in, mm. in the first place. Well, you know, I see what you mean, but I think that if you look at what evolution is, uh, what we're learning about this whole process, it's, it's not kind of what we expected. It's not what we maybe wanted. There's no, there's no Santa Claus here. There's no... I don't know. Maybe I should, maybe I should say it to your listeners. I don't know. But this, this <laughs> I don't think you're breaking the <laughs> okay. news to any of my listeners. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, this, it's not. It's not. It's a very. 
non-romantic notion of of humanity that we're, and and what i'm saying is we our our basis for morality shouldn't be up to kind of the way the genes are doing it um i think that the we we find ourselves in this we 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 all open our eyes like i said we find ourselves in the situation where the genes have evolved for billions of years we're very newcomers to the situation and but uh like you said there's no bacteria recording podcasts and so we're not like any other species we're, we're pretty unique but what what do we what do we do with this do we do we kind of adopt the strategies of the genes i don't think so that's that's horrible they uh they're competing they're also cooperating but it's it's cutthroat down there i don't, I don't think we should copy them um humanity or, uh, humanity can be kind of cutthroat <laughs> i mean our our economic <laughs> process <laughs> our economic systems can be pretty cutthroat the the uh, the the market systems can capitalism be pretty, uh, right yeah um i i mean i i do feel like how can you avoid um uh, you know, future parents from wanting to, if if they know there's some potential defect, some large hindrance that's going to uh, really negatively affect the health of a child. I think it's I think it can be hard pressed to stop a lot of a lot of children or a lot of parents from getting in there and and making a few changes here and right. there. And then it's a slippery slope. Then then slippery what slope. is a defect exactly? And then and then you right. know since you're since you're getting in there and maybe making sure that uh, that my kid has all his limbs, maybe maybe let's make those limbs a little stronger while <laughs> while we're at it. And I, I think uh, I think it doesn't take long to get to uh, you know trying to create a, a super baby. You know, mm-hmm. having uh, any uh, I think most parents want to give their child whatever advantage that they can. And there's going to be a lot of uh, there's going to be a lot of like naturalist. I want an organic. Uh, baby kind of (laughs) stuff but i mean that that might even be resigned to the the new agey people out there that that um also uh so retro uh, yeah that that are that are worried about uh genetically modified foods and and and, you know that's uh, we know that concerning ourselves with genetically modified stuff is like kind of rather silly um uh, too and and maybe maybe we'll think that um <laughs> about crispr and the, and and making some of these these changes eventually yeah no i see what you mean it's definitely a slippery slope and one thing to remember is we humanity has been doing this for a while already i mean there's when when a woman is pregnant how many genetic tests are there in in how many kind of cultures even before a couple uh, decides to to have a baby, they already look at the the family history. So we we've been kind of trying to shape the the next generation for quite some time. Well, you're looking so at someone judging how symmetrical they are. Right. Are you even attracted to this person? Uh, I mean, these are indicators of health and, and so, fitness. Right. So points. we've been doing this for a while. It's just that now we have these super tools mm-hmm. that you know really prompt us to ask how far are we really willing to go and and i think it's something that we as a society are going to need to to think hard about i i definitely think no one should panic you know and and um 
we are in a good position to make the right decision. I'm definitely yeah. not panicked. I'm, I'm, I think it's really interesting and very exciting. But I, but I can see people being panicked about it. Right. I think that, that um, you know, there, there, some people will probably push for a ban on everything. And, and we, we had in, in, um, in molecular biology, we had the same kind of situation um, when cloning uh, first came on the scene. Uh, not not uh, cloning at the uh, kind of like at the individual level, cloning like just DNA cloning. The, we realized we had this ability to to cut pieces of DNA and like recombine with other pieces of DNA. And scientists realized that this is, wow, this is a super ability. And uh, the scientists themselves convened in, in all these conferences and they established norms and that worked out well. Nothing, nothing crazy happened. So I think we have every reason to believe that we'll um, do, you know, undergo a kind of rational process in, in thinking about what makes sense. And like you said, I think there's um, you know there's the notion of designer babies, but but alongside that, there's like the very tangible uh, opportunity to alleviate suffering. If a, if there's going to be uh, a birth of an individual that that is going to really suffer, and we can alleviate that, then uh, you know we almost have a moral obligation now to to do that. Now if we have the power. And it might make for a healthier society as a whole. And I mean, my girlfriend's a social worker. She she deals with suffering day in and and day out. And uh, it's it's hard on everybody, especially the people suffering. But it, it's hard on it takes yeah. a tremendous amount of resources and everything else. I'm I mean I'm I'm uh, I'm hoping there'll be uh, some of these super babies will will grow up to care for me when I'm uh, when I'm an older person. I. <laughs> I I would uh, I would love to see future uh, my my social work worker when I'm uh, when I'm elderly is is, is some very healthy yeah. uh, <laughs> brave individual. new world brave new world. So uh, with the uh, with the remaining time that we have, which we we have uh, we have at least a good uh, fifteen minutes or so, I, uh, why don't we do um, uh, uh, kind of a, a a bit of an overview of of your book, some of the stuff that sure. uh, that we haven't discussed yet, if if we can go through any way that you want to do it, really. But I I see the first chapters on cancer. I know that's just something um, everyone yeah. is interested in. Yeah. So we used cancer, uh, Martin and I, uh, as a an example of of catastrophic failure of cooperation. Mm. Have cancer is is the you know, the opposite of the success of the genome in, in some way. And the um, we, we thought it was a perfect way to, to explain natural selection. So it, for us, the... Um, okay, so how to get going. You know, you, you might think that, that cancer is um, a, a disease that's... Um, that's in, infectious, and, and there, there are some viruses that can lead to cancer, but really, it's, it's not like that. Uh, it's nothing from the outside, it's something from the inside. And the, the, um, the reason why it happens is because there are, in a sense, too much information going, going around in your body. Every, every cell in your body has essentially the same information as every other cell. 
you know, you could you could think of it as though if you're living in a in a brick house, imagine that every brick in that house had the architectural plans for the whole building. You might think, like, why does this brick right here, right above the door, why does that brick need to know where all the other bricks are? But it's a, it's a crazy way of building, but that's the way you were built, that every single cell has the information to really make all of you. That's crazy, right? It's, it's in a sense, too much information. And cancer is a, a kind of um, manifestation of that uh, too much information per cell property. So what happens is the, the, um, the cells are programmed to, by the genes to sort of cooperate. They're making this super organism. But then the thing is that the information that we talked about of what a gene is, that, that thing, you know, we might think it's so beautiful, it's information, but, but really it has to be encoded in something material. It's encoded in DNA. And because it's something material, it's, it can be kind of fragile. And when you are maybe exposed to the sun's rays, it can, it can break up that DNA. If you're, um, if you're eating a burnt steak, there's, you know, the, 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 we won't go through the chemistry, but, but in, in digesting that, that also can break up your, your DNA or smoking or... Burnt steak? Yeah, that's bad for you. I'm what? So, I'm so oh, I sorry. had no idea. Oh, I hate to be Wait. the one to tell you. Is, is it just steak or is it anything that you're grilling? Anything burnt, yeah. Anything burnt? Don't do it. So you're not supposed to grill things. Uh, what, what do you do? You get the sous vide out? Is that what? Uh, what? <laughs> the sous vide? Are you familiar? Oh, oh, yeah. You put the food in the bag and you boil it. I, guess, I guess that's better. I'm, I'm no cook. I'm the worst cook, my wife can tell you. But... Uh, yeah, the burnt steak leads to, to chemical reactions that lead to the break to breaks in your DNA. Oh, breaks man. in the information. And I, then these are these are things that we need to be teaching children. Yeah. Uh, this is this is how I'm 38 years old and don't know that is um, disappointing <laughs> uh, to say well, the but least. Well, smoking, you know, smoking is bad. Well, for you. yeah, everyone knows smoking. Everyone should. I mean, if, if burnt steak is giving us cancer, everyone in the world should know that. Everyone knows sunscreen. If You're one good thing sunscreen. comes out of this podcast for your listeners, let it be the burnt steak. Well, I think many good things are coming out of this podcast, but my goodness, burnt steak, that's a, this is an everyday practical application. Right, you see? And so... Okay, so okay. I might say, okay, so, so, so sorry some of the, for no, the tangent, a, but that, no, uh, that, that I got very excited. <laughs> So imagine now uh, the DNA breaks. Uh-huh. Okay, it gets fixed most of the times, but sometimes it doesn't get fixed, and now there's a, a mutation in there. Now most of the times that mutation's in a place that doesn't really matter, like in the self in those junk places. Who cares if they get a mutation? All the better if they get a mutation, right? But sometimes it's in a really crucial, crucial gene, and that gene now, let's say, it makes the cell unable to get receive signals from other cells. So usually a cell will like, no, okay, I need to make more. I need to divide. I need to make, you know, there's been a cut. Let's make some more cells here. But sometimes the other cells will tell everybody, hey, no, no, no more dividing. Let's quiet down. And one particular cell that has a mutation may now be like deaf to those signals. Mm. It doesn't know that it's not supposed to divide. So now because of that mutation, it keeps dividing, keeps dividing. And... Um, if it keeps dividing, there's more copies of itself. And if there's more copies of itself, 
there's more opportunities for more mutations in those cells. And if there's more mutations, it, it kind of like, in a sense, it gets selected. There's, a, there's like natural selection is acting on its side because there's more copies of it. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, uh, for example, if all your cells are, are um, dividing at a certain rate, and now this mutated cell is dividing faster, then over time, that cell is sort of winning in this popularity game of your body. So there's more and more cells, and, and um, you might say, well, okay, so there's more cells for this particular mutation. Who cares? And, and most of the times, you're right. You know, all of us are kind of riddled with these little, little growths. Uh, but every once in a while, it's very rare, this particular uh, um, now group of cells can then kind of uh, really proliferate unchecked and just go throughout your whole body. And then it's these growths that, that uh, in the end kill you. So really, this is an example of, of um, what happens in the society of genes when cooperation breaks down. Mm. Um, and I should say that in the, the book, what really fascinated us, uh, Martin and I, was to take a, a kind of zoomed out perspective. So we, we start with the individual and we zoom out all the way to the, you know, all of life, to the origin of life. It's kind of like this journey that you go through in the book. And um, the whole first three chapters are about evolution that's happening in your body. Because uh, there is evolution in your body. And that's something surprising because sometimes it's, you know, th- there's all these people in, um, uh, you know, the creationists, they try to argue against evolution that there's no evidence for evolution. Evolution is, is uh, um, you know, it's just maybe it didn't happen. And the, you know, maybe all this. But it's actually a ridiculous claim that, mm-hmm. that evolution didn't happen because not only did it lead to us, but there's evolution happening in you all the time. There's an evolutionary process. So, for example, um, the way your immune system works, that's what we talk about in Chapter 2, that's based on natural selection as well. That's evolution that's in a, it's called an, an adaptive immune system, which is what, what it is, is uh, your, uh, when, when you get an infection, uh, your cells have to, have to counteract that. They have to, have to kill the intruders. And the way that that happens is uh, there's all kinds of, of uh, like, let's call them soldiers in your system, but each soldier knows how to recognize a different kind of uh, attack attacker mm-hmm. and if there's so imagine like you have a million soldiers and each one is looking you know on the lookout for something different but one of them is sort of able to uh, fight off the the infection so what happens is because it it did some damage the system realizes that it's it's it, it can do it can actually fight it gets a signal to make more of itself which is natural selection. It's become like more fit. It gets selected. And then those, that, that soldier uh, now becomes like a million soldiers. And that's how you're able to ward off the infection. It's like, it's like adapting. Mm-hmm. So that's the principle of, of uh, natural selection. Another principle of natural selection in your body is when you take antibiotics, you're, you're really evolving your, your pathogen in, in cu- a couple senses. One is that you have your, your um, microbiome, you have this whole like ecosystem flora that's happening in your gut, and you're completely wiping it out when you take antibiotics. 
Uh, so as you, long as you're finishing your right, and if you don't finish it, you could you could um, lead to uh, an, an intruder that's kind of uh, able to resist a little bit antibiotics, but not all of it. So you're kind of evolving it too, and and we can do this experiment. We can see that that um, the, the the pathogen that attacked you, the mm-hmm. attacker, is now different after some rounds of antibiotics. So that's evolution. How can how can someone claim that nothing is changing when it's things are changing right in your body? Cancer is is uh, a disease of natural selection. Cancer is also evolution. So that's why the 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 first three chapters are all about evolution happening in your body. Uh, then we we zoom out and uh, we talk about uh, how animals are built. We talk about um, how the 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 human species has has had such an amazing journey on on earth and uh oh we, we use this analogy of the the clinton paradox which uh it was funny you know when this book was was written it was before the 2016 election mm-hmm. so i mean because right now when i say clinton you're probably thinking hillary clinton but back then when you said clinton it was bill clinton and um the bill clinton paradox is is this it's um really a question of are we in? Are we humans? Are we similar to each other, or are we or are we different? And uh, it goes like this. Is this. Do we have time for this story? Absolutely. Okay. So, yeah. um, you know, Bill Clinton. He was president when um, a motion by a group of scientists came to sequence the human genome. They said, you know, it's going to cost a lot of money. Can we do it? And he said, yeah. So he gave them money. And um, he was really pleased that he did it because even though it cost $3 billion, taxpayers' money, $3 billion to sequence the human genome, he would make these speeches. I I even heard it myself. I was um, a postdoctoral fellow at Harvard, and Bill Clinton came for a graduation, and he he told this following story. He said, you know, uh, I'm really glad those scientists sequenced the genome because when when they showed me the results, I was so happy. Uh, They told me that not only did we sequence the genome, but we also compare, compared uh, a, couple, a few genes. We, se- we sequenced actually parts of many genomes, and we saw that any two individuals, like me and you, Shane, were 99.9% identical. Oh, look at us. Look at us. <laughs> we should be able to get along just fine. Exactly. And he, and he said all the wars, all the misunderstandings, everything that gets in the way of people, all because of the, the 0.1% that's different. Isn't that ridiculous? Shouldn't we embrace our... You know, humanity, that's, that's mostly the same. I knew we were going to be talking about the hippie communes the hippie of, com- of genes. <laughs> so, but, then, but then here's the thing. Here's the thing. The genome is 6 billion letters long, right? Yeah. So 0.1% difference, even though it doesn't sound like a lot, if you multiply it by 6 billion, that becomes 6 million. So you and I have 6 million differences because the genome is so vast. And six million, all of a sudden you're like, oh, maybe that is worth fighting for. Yeah, my differences are better than that. <laughs> my guy's differences difference. are better than your differences. <laughs> so that's the paradox. Are we mostly the same, or are there enough differences that it becomes, you know, understandable why there's so much fighting, and and we really do have our work cut out for us if we're going to have world peace. Uh, and and it's interesting. So what we do in the in the book is we we try to uh, wrestle with this this question, and. Um, your readers are very busy people, so I'm just going to give you the answer. Uh, I'm going to cut to the chase. And uh, well, we, 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 one thing we go through is that 
most of those six million differences are just random, like non-functional, completely immaterial, of no consequence. That's that's most of the differences. There are some uh, ones that that we can like appreciate just by looking at each other. Like you know, you have blue eyes, right? Mm-hmm. I have brown eyes. That's that's genetic, right? So that that's one of our six million differences has to do with that. Okay, that's one out of six million. <laughs> Different hair color, you know, slightly different uh, skin hue or whatever. That's all genetic, all genetic. Um, but it's relatively few and far between. And the kind of uh, the kind of uh, conclusion we reach is that Bill Clinton, and by the way, Hillary Clinton also adopted this kind of uh, 99.9% uh, motif in her speeches as well. But... Uh, I'm sorry to say, I think it's it's pretty dangerous to make a genetic argument for world peace. Mm. And we kind of touched upon it before in this notion that, that we shouldn't look to our genes for, for morality. The genes do not have our best interest in mind. Right. The genes, they're like, they just want to be immortal. They're selfish. They don't care about us. Right. So in a sense, yeah. Oh, no, no. Well, go on, and then I have, okay. I have a comment. So, in, in a sense, I was going to say, uh, if you are kind of, um, you know, looking at, at someone else, and you're saying, oh, you know, like you said, my changes are better than, my DNA is better than your DNA, then really you're saying, you know, I am my genes, and I'm going to fight for fight for those genes. But why, why should you fight for those genes, mm-hmm. right? First of all, you're only fighting for... Um, a tiny fraction of them, the 0.1% of them. And second, why should you fight for them? You're, they, 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 um, yes, they made you. The genes have an important part in our lives. But right now, the way we choose to live, that's what we, you know, that's kind of like what we make despite them. I, I would say you're making this podcast despite what your genes are telling your genes are telling you you know shane just have some food you know make some babies that's all and you're like no i'm gonna try this comedy i'm gonna do this this radically new stand-up science and and (laughs) and podcast and that's beautiful but you're you're rebelling against your genes and i think that's beautiful yeah, I, I mean, I, I think about this quite a bit because because I'm I'm not having kids myself, <laughs> and but I I do you know our our genes your genes are very disappointed. Uh, I know my genes are so disappointed <laughs> with me, but my genes don't don't care about me one way or another. My individual ex- existence really, and and uh, so it, if you're looking at it from that point of view. I mean, what is the? You're a family man. What? What? What is the point of of uh, of having a family, of having these exceptionally costly offspring? And, yeah. and if if uh, you know, what do you care about passing your genes on? Yeah. Why? I have three awesome kids and a beautiful wife. So why do I do it? I, you know, last weekend we went to this uh, spy museum. I don't think I could justify going if I didn't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> I get to do a lot of fun things because of the kids. Yeah. Uh, no, they're a lot of fun. I think I think it's. Um, uh, I think we we humans were um, we like to rebel against our genes, but we really uh, are. So much of our psyche is encoded by them. And for example, like like loneliness. That's a, you know, when we, we I wish we had like a. 
like a drug for that or, or something or is there Maybe the, I don't know. there's video games <laughs> <It's> video ga- <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it's any healthier than most drugs <laughs> so i think you know this kind of um we, we still have this human need to be together and uh and that's maybe the best case i could make for it <laughs> yeah i i mean maybe we're, we're still uh, uh, driven to have uh, th- these wants and desires because of our genes but it is uh it's interesting how to how how to maximize your uh, taking what we know about what our genes are kind of up to and what they're driving us to do yeah. and what is in our individual difference how how we use what our what our genes are driving us to do to maximize um the amount of kind of pleasure in our life it's a right. it's an interesting um line of thinking and and uh, uh, questions that we we have to start asking ourselves as we learn more uh more about this stuff and more about the genome and, yeah. and what all of this means absolutely i think um if you're I really love philosophy and, and, you know, Plato's sentence about the unexamined life is not worth living. That, that is, I think is so, um, really resonates with me. I think that, that it's, it's like, uh, I guess I keep saying this, this hour that it's such a privileged position to be in, to live, uh, on earth today when there's so much, um, that we know and, and we can kind of counteract, uh, the aspects of it we don't like. So if, if we if we realize, oh, right now, I'm kind of uh, I have this urge to act in a in a in a racist way, uh, and you realize, no, that this this I, I shouldn't. You know, I can kind of like be rational and rise above it, and and that's beautiful because if if you think about you know if you read about people thousands of years ago, they they might have uh, had all sorts of explanations of why they're doing certain things. But now we realize, no, it's just the genes are programming us to be in a certain way. And, and we as a society can put up these, these laws against certain things. And that's actually a lot of it is a good thing. Like we really do want to rise uh, above the genes. And that's why I think that's kind of inspiring to be alive today. That you can do all these things to counteract the genes and, and we decide our own future, sort of speak. Yeah, it, it, it seems like we're more altruistic than we've ever been i mean it's certainly you know thousands of years ago going in and conquering <laughs> some other people was was the norm this is uh yeah. probably a uh, you know a source of pride for many people now if you were today <laughs> if you were to say we should go in and conquer right. some we can say like we need to defend ourselves or whatever and that right. this is okay in our common yeah, uh, uh, it's know, true. If you look at the, w- the world's borders, we- it's o- overall bo- you know, country borders are fairly stable. Europe yeah. is not always so stable, <laughs> but yeah. even there lately have been more stable. It, and, yeah. and even if it is what we're no no one's flat out saying, "Hey, we're conquering. <laughs> we're going to go out there and conquer places right. anymore." This See is progress. <laughs> yeah, so it's no longer uh, socially acceptable. You're, you're talking to Steven Pinker next week. Oh, he's going to be on the show. So I yeah. think that's. Uh, he he's a big proponent of progress. Yeah, I'm just finishing uh, Enlightenment uh, now, which is a it's a nice. Uh, I, I can be a cynical person, so it's it's been a, a nice read for me. It's nice. snapped me out of my cynicism. Um, so speaking of altruism, I have my guests each week plug a charity of their choice. Do you have one in mind? Yes, I would like to plug the Big Brothers and Big Sisters organization. 
Um, my sister works there, and it's a it's a beautiful organization. They do uh, philanthropy, where you know they go to organizations like L'Oreal, and um, ask the 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 members if they want to to work with youngsters and and uh, mentor them. And mm. I think that's a beautiful organization. I think that's fantastic, and I'm I'm excited to hear uh, what do you have coming up. Uh, oh yeah, so Martin and I. Um, you know, we're uh, partners in crime in, in uh, many things, and we're uh, thinking up a new topic. It's called uh, for a book, and it's called Night Science. And Night Science, to be distinguished from Day Science, is the kind of crazy aspect of, of science. And uh, it all started with the, this French scientist called Francois Jacob. Uh, Jacob and Monod made an amazing discovery. He's a Nobel Prize winner. winner. And uh, Francois Jacob, he, he distinguished uh, the kind of science that we do in the day. You know, you're visiting me uh, here at NYU at work, and, and uh, what we do in the day is we do experiments where we do certain tests, and we're very rigorous, and we do controls, and, you know, if it's a, if it's a, a bad idea, we toss away that idea. That's day science. We're very critical. That's actually the uh, when you when you um, in school when you learn about the scientific method, that's actually day science. Mm-hmm. It's like you know you have a problem, you come up with a hypothesis, you test the hypothesis, very logical, it's falsifiable, falsifiable, <laughs> right? Exactly. So the uh, the, I, and I think that actually um, gives a, a, an inaccurate picture of what science is to the public because it, it makes science seem like very logical. Sterile. One step to the sterile and, and, and actually a little bit boring. It kind of worries me that, that interest, interesting, creative people won't come to science because they think science is boring. But then you go to the bar with scientists exactly. afterwards. Go to the bar. And so, so it's night science, night science. First of all, why do you need night science? So think back to what we just said about the scientific method. You have a problem. You come up with a hypothesis. You test the hypothesis. Well, where the hell did you get that hypothesis? Hmm. Like... That it's, it seems they, they make it sound like it's obvious what the hypothesis is going to be. Well, actually, coming up with the hypothesis, that's the breakthrough. Everything else kind of becomes mechanical once you have and, and sterile and boring. Uh, but night science, that's the, the workshop of the hypotheses. It's, mm. it's, it generates ideas. And night science is, um, it's, it really puts an emphasis on less on logic and more on just association, on embracing the outlier, on taking steps that, that may not be solid, but you just go there anyway. It's about facing a lot of blind alleys. It's about emphasizing questions, not answers. And, and so the, the, the notion is that if you really think about how science works, like the real logic of, of why science has been such an amazing enterprise for humanity, like the real reason it's it's um, a lot of it is because of night science, and yet we don't talk about it. So uh, what we hope to do is kind of extend the scientific method to to really, um, you know, uh, uh, shine a bright light onto night science, and uh, talk about all the principles that happen there. That sounds terrific. I look forward to that, and I'll have to have you and Martin on next time talking yeah, about you need night Martin science. On next time. Um, well. This has been wonderful. Listeners, please check out the Society of Genes. And uh, thank you, Atai, for joining me. 
today. Thank you, Shane. This was so much fun. You've been <laughs> such a wonderful guest. And thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you next week. Next week on the podcast, Gabby Principe is joining me. And we're talking about childhood memories and implanting false memories in children, in adults. Gosh, it's a fascinating subject, and she is a real fun. You guys are going to get a kick out of her. Super fun, really fun sense of humor, um, just a real like kind of bubbly uh, delight. And I am uh, real excited for you guys to hear it. So check that out next week. Um, make sure and keep up with Shane Moss, M-A-U-S-S dot com for all my things. I was just on Duncan Trussell's Family Hour podcast recently. It was kind of a big one. Um, if you want to listen to that, had a, had fun on on um, who who charted podcast, um, music podcast, charted, by the way. And I, uh, let's see, stand-up science, working on stuff for July um, in the Midwest. And also, again, the Libro.fm um, offer code, here we are. That's going to help me out a lot with some of this booking and everything. And then also, I'm working on a UK tour. There's some conferences, festivals and stuff for August. And... It's kind of looking pretty good. Um, I, I don't. I tend not to get my hopes up too much for these things until they're a hundred percent confirmed. But uh, I, I record these episodes or I re- these intros and outros a while in advance. So sometimes by the time you're listening, there's already updates on the website. So never hurts to check it out. Never hurts to join my email list if you haven't. If you're wondering when stand up science is coming to you we'll send an email blast out your way and um yeah um those of you that listen all the way to the end you are of course my favorites (laughs) 